Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Rogue Muslim. Um, this week I'm joined by, well, you're Salma Sayyid on Instagram, um, but I don't know if you go by, I don't know, a yeah, different like, name like or is that, that is your real name. name. Okay, right? Yeah. It's not like some um, hidden identity or rogue identity or anything. No. Cool, cool. <laughs> All right. That's <laughs> um yeah so yeah we met through instagram and instantly like we've just connected since then and you uh do an internship uh well i don't know where you do your internship i don't know that you want to reveal where you do your internship but it's around farm workers awareness and so and that's what we're going to be discussing today but do you want to introduce yourself in a much better way than i did okay <laughs> um well yeah my name is Salma Sayed. <laughs> Um, I, I guess I can say this. I hope I don't, none of your followers come and find me. Right. Um, but I'm from North Carolina. Well, my parents are from India. Right. Um, so I'm brown. But um, <laughs> I've lived in North Carolina my whole life, and I do my internship here. And it's at Student Action with Farm Workers. Um, they've been around for more than 25 years. And, um, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, right? And we're going to get into how you got involved, but um, you may know this, but the first question I ask everyone is, um, if this was your last day on Earth, what would your final meal be? Sushi. Sushi? I actually had this morning. (laughs) I had poke this morning. Wait, morning, like, what time? Like At, like, 10. uh, what, What? Why? Because I went to this place that served juice and smoothie bowls and smoothies, and they also had poke. And I was like, I really want it. And I know it's 10 a.m., but no one's going to So you did it. you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, now you do. <laughs> well, now we do. I've never had poke, so I don't actually know if it's good. Uh, it's like rice and then greens and then raw fish. And then oh, okay. it's like they had this tamarind sauce. It was so good. And this spicy mm. cashew sauce. Oh, so that good. sounds good. That is not. I I can only ever eat four pieces of sushi. I don't know why. Like I literally every time I go four is my max, and I mainly just go for the ramen and the pineapple fried rice, and then the dessert. That's it. Oh, I'm sorry. People came in. <laughs> That's okay. I was wondering if they were thoughts or something. Oh. Okay. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, anything like dessert or anything? Oh. Oh my god, I love dessert, so I can't. <laughs> rasmalai or kheer or. Yeah. Yeah, I kheer. Know. I don't like rasmalai, but kheer, 100%. You know the thing about kheer is every culture has their version of rice pudding. Mm-hmm. So in in um, Spanish, it's arroz con leche. Yeah. Rice with milk. And then yeah. in Arabic, it's also rice with milk, but I forgot. Arabic something it it means with I don't remember I don't know if I've ever had it I'm gonna look it up yeah I'm not gonna look it up okay it's fine some somebody can maybe let us know um yeah oh no Kira I love I I, oh it's actually dangerous how much I love it though like I have to restrict myself um it's kind of sad but anyways yeah Ras Malai or Kira yeah that's a pretty, pretty good way to go, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, so swiftly moving on. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So we are talking about farm workers awareness and 
March was Farm Workers Awareness Month, right? Okay. Um, March 25th through that whole week. It was National Farm Worker Awareness Week. Okay. Oh, a week, not month. Okay. Okay. It should be a month, but okay. (laughs) Got it. Yeah. Why is it that date, though? Do you know? I guess the people who started it, they just chose that date and then... Oh, okay. That's fair enough. Okay. So how did you get involved in Farm Workers Awareness? Um, Well, I got involved with student action with Farm Workers when... I was just looking for internships mm. on my schools, my university's um, portal, like where they have all the jobs and internships and like, you know, where you can sign up for like career fairs and stuff. Um, so I looked up nonprofit because I didn't really know what I wanted to study or do. Mm. And mind you, I'm a junior. So oh, I was when I was applying, I was a sophomore. So I didn't really know. Wait, you're in um, high school? No, 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 in college. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, do you yeah, guys use the same that. terms in college as well? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I was like, I didn't, I wasn't aware. No, okay. No, no, no. I was right. Okay, good. I'm in college. Cool. Um, but yeah, I was looking through their thing. And I looked up nonprofit and staff came up. So I went on their website and I thought it was really cool and really um, something something that I never heard of before. And But mm. their website was really cool. Um, it's staff, saf-unite.org. Okay. So you guys can go there. They have a lot of, like, um, resources, like documentary and theater, and they have a lot of information. Um, and their thing is that they're working towards dismantling, or I guess we are working towards dismantling white supremacy and all forms of repression. And oh, amazing. And working to improve the lives of farm workers. Mm-hmm. So I decided to apply and um, learn more, but I didn't know what a farm worker was. I took an anthropology class. Um, my freshman, the summer before I started at my university, I took an anthropology class, and my instructor, he works with farm workers. Like, he's a master, he's a grad student, so he works with farm workers. Um, and he brought someone in, and um, I remembered that, that, like, I remembered, like, three years ago or two years ago that I had learned about this in class. So I reached out to him, and he helped me with my application, and he, like, told me more about farm workers. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, yeah, I've been working here since September. That's amazing. And what's it been like for you? It's been amazing. Yeah. Um, the place is, the office itself is like the center for documentary studies. So there's all this like documentary work. They have a dark room. Um, That's it's so really exciting. Cool. It's like office. Yeah. Oh um, it's really cool. And then we all have a supervisor. And my supervisor is really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out <laughs> yeah he's the best nice everybody everybody here is the best and we all every intern has a supervisor and um the supervisor is just as important to us as we are to them um like we help them a lot and they also guide us a lot and give us mentorship and yeah um and then yeah it's just it's been a really great experience i i never dislike any part of it and that's ideal yeah (laughs) It's not like a typical office internship. It's very much, um, I mean, you have to do office work, like you have right. to work in the office, but it's also like doing advocacy and like doing presentations, holding events, right. fundraising, all that stuff. Right, yeah. right. Oh, that sounds really holistic and cool. Yeah. I want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> so then, okay. So now that you know the difference between a farmer and a farm worker, can you educate <laughs> us? Because I think yeah, I even like was messaging you and I think I slipped a few times being like oh farmers awareness week 
And yeah. I didn't, because, yeah, we, I think we call them farm workers here in Canada. Um, yeah, no, we do. So I don't know why I slipped up on that, but. No, it's okay. Yeah. People don't really know what farm workers are mm-hmm. because they are an invisible minority. Like, yeah. their camps and their work isn't seen. It's, like, off, at least in the, in the States. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not in, um, not in Canada either. Um, or not, um. You're from Canada, right? I forgot. Yeah, I live in Canada now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But they're an invisible minority. Like, their camps are far off. And um, you, you, like, when you're driving, you see farms, but you don't see the farm workers. Um, Mm -hmm. So farm workers, farmers are the people who, like, own the land. They work with the um, growers, the um, crew leaders, and the corporations and stuff. And farm workers are the people who harvest, cultivate, and grow the crops and get it to our tables. Mm-hmm. Um, and in North Carolina, 85% of fresh fruits and vegetables are picked by hand. Wow. So you have a really big impact. Right. And that's like, that's 85% in North Carolinian farms. What is it? North, Car- North Carolina. North Carolinian. North Carolinian. <laughs> North Carolinian. North Carolinian. North Carolinian. Whoa, that is a mouthful. North Carolinian farms. Okay. Yeah, so is that like 85% are from North Carolinian farms or farms just all over America? That are. Oh, statistics are so hard. Yeah. um, Hand picked. So then, what. I guess backtracking a bit, like, what is then the history of farm workers in. America because you know we like there is a system that uplifts not uplifts that suppresses their rights and stuff but uplifts the um the use of them um I guess we could say and so what exactly like when did they start to become utilized and and then were they always abused in their um in their roles and what they had to do and in the work and labor well, before it's it's all starts with colonization, obviously. Of so before Europeans um, came here, there were indigenous people who did their own system. They had their own system of agriculture, right. and that was really sustainable. And like I don't know a lot about it, but it was really sustainable. Right. And um, well, there was like a give and take relationship between yeah, the, the, the earth and. Crops. All I remember is sister crops, the beans, squash, and. Oh else. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the white people brought their five colonial gifts of flour and rice and sugar and something and something yeah well at least here in canada i i kind of think it might be the same in america i don't know but, i don't know what they brought but yeah. they brought violence and disease and yeah <laughs> yeah uh, yeah definitely so, that <laughs> so um and then obviously slavery happened and mm-hmm. then we in the united states and everywhere there was a plantation system mm-hmm. so um there was always a system in agriculture of having the workers um, oppressing them and keeping them in a state of slavery and servitude, mm-hmm. um, whether it was involuntary or voluntary like, with like indentured servants. Um, but it was always people of color. It was always black people or brown right. people. Right. Um, and then after, I guess, slavery sort of like was abolished, um, there had to be people who, so I don't know the exact dates, but there had to be people who filled their shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where people from Mexico and Central America come in. Mm-hmm. And right now, that's where the most of the farm workers come are from Mexico and Central America. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still, like, there's the systems that, like, oppress them are, like, 
suppress their rights. Mm-hmm. It, the history is basically slavery. Right. And, um, and um, there was also slavery in Central America and Brazil right. and South America. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I'm not an expert on everything. But totally um, cool. um, there was, there's like all this political and um, political violence and um, like drug violence and gang violence happening in Latin America and in in, um, Central America because of the United States and because mm-hmm. of, um, you know, other forces mm-hmm. that are causing um, um, immigrants to come to the United States legally and, and by illegal and illegal means. Right. Um, and they fill the shoes of farm workers and domestic workers mm-hmm. um, because no one else wants to do those jobs. Mm-hmm. And um, because no one wants to do those jobs and because those jobs are filled by, by black and brown people and because a lot of those people, um, black and brown people, are undocumented, they don't have many practices under the law um, because people don't care and people want to suppress them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Fair Labor Standards Act was passed in 1935 and it basically mandated a minimum wage, overtime pay, child labor laws, all of that stuff. Um, and it included every every form of labor except for farm work and domestic work. Oh. And I always ask people, yeah, I always ask people why why do you think that was? Mm-hmm. And it's because those people were black and brown. Um, right. So it was a really racist law. Right, right. And then forty years later, it was um, updated or amended to include farm workers and domestic workers, but they're still not mandated. Um, overtime pay mm. they still get they still have wage theft so they're not paid for all the hours that they work right um, they still like they're still not even included in some minimum wage laws and children as young as 12 can work on farms with par- with their parents permission and it used to be 10 so now it's 12 wow um, so yeah and it's farm workers and also domestic workers but i work specifically with farm workers so i don't know is domestic um, workers like for example folks that are in prison and are doing that indentured labor or no domestic workers are like people who like like nannies and people who oh houses. oh i see what you're saying yeah got it got it got it okay yeah um yeah but it's definitely like their work is linked to farm workers that's mm-hmm. why i bring that up right because they're in the same category according to whoever's making these laws ah. um, and who is like is that congress or I don't really know um, the American like Congress. It was, it was the government. The know. government, yeah, <laughs> totally Congress, fair. Yeah, totally fair. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then, as I know it here in Canada, farm workers, like you said, they do work very long hours, um, don't get paid, and often the fact that they're undocumented or we don't call them mi- farm workers. That's why it keeps like confusing me. We call them temporary migrant workers. Or temporary foreign workers. Yeah. And that's why I'm like, oh, no, I knew there was a different name. Yeah. So temporary migrant workers or temporary foreign workers, um, they often don't have, um, obviously, rights and access to certain healthcare practices um, or they're trying to get those accesses. But often um, that access can be stalled just by the farmers themselves and their bosses threatening them to threatening to send them back home, cutting pay, separating them from their families, um, not rehiring them for the next season, etc. So is that something that also is the case in America as well? Like certain um, 
abuses and things are held over them in order to a stifle their growth or the activism, but also to maintain a certain form of servitude. Yeah, to like okay. everything you said, basically, okay. is accurate. The same thing applies same thing? in the United okay. States. Okay. Um, yeah, it's like threatening them, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. It, what What is like um, a day-to-day... I mean, I'm sure it differs in everything, but what's a day-to-day life for a farmer? Like what, you know, maybe hours or what they're going through or the kids, um, you know, I know that they often get their schooling is disrupted and stuff or mm. um you know what what it looks like to be a family or a community within I don't I don't know are they like confined to the areas that they're working in or uh, do they live off of the farm or I actually don't know so um yeah it is different for every farm farm worker okay. every, every farm working family um, but there are temporary or migrant farm workers and seasonal farm workers. So migrant right. farm workers move around um, and they go wherever there's work. And then right. seasonal farm workers stay in one area and they work whenever there is available work in that area, whenever the crop is available mm-hmm. for harvesting. Um, it's different for every family. So most of them live in camps mm-hmm. um, and the camps are like very destitute, like a lot of times they can't even wash their clothes. Like there's um, a lot of documentaries and videos on our website that mm-hmm. you can watch. Um, there's one called La Vida Diaria. And there's one called Harvest of Dignity, which was um, what I showed at my NFAV at for National Farm Market Awareness Week. Right. And that you'll you'll see their camps, you'll see the, their lives um, in action. Um, but yeah, it's it's really like the girl in that video says like even dogs have better lives than us. Dogs get three meals a day. Dogs are get yeah. you know clean clothing they're right. treated better than us right. um even like their clothes get pesticides on them right and that's so bad for you that's so mm-hmm. bad for the kids mm-hmm. but um they can't they can't even wash they don't even get clean clothes or they don't even get a chance to wash their clothes mm-hmm. um i i think some of them don't even have indoor plumbing mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's a really big issue mm-hmm. and they often work 12 to 15 hours a day um they don't get that many bathroom breaks or breaks in general, even though they're mandated breaks, but no one like really checks on that. Um, what else? Um, they don't get water. And um, so, yeah, kids, it definitely does interrupt them. A lot of kids drop out just so they can work on the farms. But um, here at SAF, we do migrant education. Mm-hmm. And actually, my supervisor, he... Um, through like our our organization, he was like encouraged to finish high school, and to he like to go to university, and now he works here. So like, um, we're doing a lot of work to um, to like make sure that that children of farm working families or migrant families mm-hmm. have an opportunity to get a higher education and to finish their school and mm-hmm. to not be focused on um just working on the farms all day. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. um. There's also something called College Assistance Migrant Program, which also um, something you can look up. It's like it, it helps farming families. It gives them scholarships and things like that. Mm-hmm. What? I well, maybe this is just like a personal interest question, but what does that um, outreach look like for um, kind of gaining interest in the whole um, educational aspect and finishing education and stuff, and kind of. Um, 
empowering each other to I don't really like the word empowering it's so overused um yeah I don't know I I just have a hard time with it um I guess it's like who is doing the empowering and why does it need to come from that person? And I, I just have a lot of questions around the use of the term and who's using mm-hmm. the term and stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. like the fact that it can, it's very much capitalized on and stuff. Um, but I guess, I guess what is that process of, um, you know, trying to motivate um, farm worker children or farm workers who may want to, you know, not go to school because they face certain pressures there and then, you know, use their time to be farm workers because there are also pressures for, you know, bringing in money and stuff like that. Like, what does that whole process look like to getting them to actually stay in school and continue further education and stuff? So um, we have a summer internship program called Into the Fields, And um, there's about like 20 interns and two fellows that are part of that program. And they all speak Spanish. Um, A lot of them are from farm working families, all of them are Latinx, but there's also a lot of, um, you know, white interns. And so it's like a a diversifying, uh, diversity, diverse, diverse pool. Right. (laughs) Of of interns um, that go out and do outreach and not just money education, but legal work, um, health and advocacy and lobbying and community organizing. Um, So I'm not a part of that program because this is my first year here and I also don't speak Spanish. Mm. So um, I can't speak a lot about what that looks like. Um, But I do have some experience because my supervisor is the program coordinator for that for that program. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so yeah, you have to speak Spanish because how else are you going to reach out to them? Even if right. the kids are bilingual, right? It's um, good to have those Spanish skills for their parents, and mm-hmm. because some people or some students are more comfortable speaking Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a lot of technology in the, in the fields in mm-hmm. the camps, so they have to be able to do like like presentations in a format that will be um, beneficial for the farm workers and their mm-hmm. and their students and their children. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of theater, um, like a lot of plays that the interns put together. A lot of um, um, they give out pamphlets that they translate in Spanish for mm. them. Um, yeah, so yeah, a lot of like going to the camps, going to the fields, right, and being able to connect with them, being able to like befriend them like mm-hmm. get, get to know what their lives are mm-hmm. like and not just go there and be like a savior like you know that savior right. complex and right. go there and like take pictures and do right. all of that right just, like go there to work with them and see right. what they need and why why would they want to go to school in the first place why would they want to finish their education why wouldn't they want to stay in the fields what do they want to learn mm-hmm. so um my supervisor was actually encouraged to apply their um his so okay so okay, i don't know how to explain this but he was <laughs> he was encouraged to apply by someone who works here for for the into the fields internship and he did it and now he works here as, as a staff and he actually awesome. pro- coordinates that program so i think that's so cool yeah it's really cool um, yeah so yeah. like it's it's like that it's like it's not like oh you're you're like go to school it's like what do you want to do? Like, mm-hmm. come be a part of our program. Come, mm-hmm. like, 
what do you want to do that's mm-hmm. exciting for you? you right, know? right. It's not just like go to school and finish school. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Actually, before we continue more, is are there... Because I'm always mindful of like the vocabulary we're using and, um, you know, how it can other people in the process of using it. So are there certain terms that we should be using that um, center farm workers and farm workers' rights and, um, you know, doesn't other their humanity um, just before we continue with the conversation? Because I don't want to say anything that... Um, you know, would, would have a hierarchy in conversation, I guess. Yeah. So don't use the term farmers. Right. Um, and the difference between farmers and farm workers. If, if, I mean, we explained that earlier. Is it but, reclaimed? Um, I mean, wait, does it need to be reclaimed or? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Why? Well, I, I don't really know. <laughs> um, yeah. So use the term farm workers yeah. and then don't use the term illegal immigrants. Use the term okay. undocumented immigrants or, um, I mean, I think that's, you know, self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think um, you haven't said anything that would... Okay, good. Um, you know, you haven't said anything offensive or anything like that, okay. like, to diminish their value. Yeah. Um, but also recognize that they are workers, but their job is not something that is dirty or should be looked upon. I mean, I know they, they work in dirt, but it's not, like, their work isn't dirty or something mm-hmm. to be looked down upon. It's mm-hmm. very valuable. It's It's, like... It's, it's, it's a source of life. And, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like they put food on our, 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 on our tables. Yeah. And their work is something that they are proud of oftentimes and that we should be proud of as well. Um, so, yeah, just like, like you said, like reclaiming the word and like making sure the word doesn't have a ne- negative connotation in mm-hmm. your mind. Like making sure that it has a very positive connotation mm-hmm. um, because they are very vital for our economy, for mm-hmm. our lives. Mm-hmm. And um, no one else would be wanting to do the work that they do. So they're doing no. it. And that's and the thing. Sorry. Yeah, they're going through all of that just to put food on, food on our tables just so they can have a better life mm-hmm. for themselves and their families. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I always I find it interesting when people say, oh, they're taking our jobs and, um, you know, these immigrants are coming and taking our resources and our burden on the system, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just the fact that, I mean, it's like, do you want those jobs? Are you like, are you, would you apply for those jobs? Would you go for those jobs? Like, come on, think about it. Like, do you want to face abuse day in, day out? Clearly they're doing it because it, it, it is a source of income for them. And if they could have had that better source of income at home, I'm assuming, you know, they would have stayed. But the U.S. and Western hegemony and many Western countries have effed up um, countries all over and have kind of forced that migration into them, um, into their countries and stuff. But I always just find it interesting. I I guess the language that's used around um, any undocumented... Uh, migrants or refugee or um you know member of DACA or something um and just being mindful exactly of how we're othering each other and um I don't know I, I, I always I I always have a hard time of like imagine if this was in you if this was your situation or if you were these uh in the yeah in this situation and whatever because it it 
relies on it, it dehumanizes people still and it's the fact that oh you're not be you're not believing them for what they're saying and don't see them and their bodies and their experiences as valid um and a lot of that's steeped in racism and supremacy yeah yeah i mean we say like would you want to be doing their jobs but also something that is problematic because like we, the answer to that should be yes. Like every job on this in America and in any Western society should not be that dehumanizing and that like, yeah, yeah. I guess dehumanizing is the right word. Like we should make yeah. those jobs um, have value because they do have value. Yeah. Um, we should make it so that the people that are working these jobs also have value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like people say that they're stealing our jobs, but like, why is that a bad thing? Like, yeah. they're not doing that to begin with. And yeah. Even whether they're working in the farms or they're working in a hospital as a doctor, like, they deserve to be there. So, yeah. That's my take. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, you'd mentioned, like, health implications and ingesting pesticides. So, are there statistics on, like, how much is ingested or. Or even just, like, what the repercussions are of that. And also, do they have access to healthcare? Because um, I know America's healthcare system is just oh, a minefield. No worries. Yeah. From my privileged-ass place here. <laughs> no, you're right. Universal healthcare. Um, I have to say, yeah, it's messed. Um, but, yeah, do uh, what kind of accesses do they have? Because I think here, um, I think they can have access um or they're becoming stricter and you have to work a certain number of days or something to get access i I honestly don't know uh well i don't remember now um but yeah like what are the health repercussions and then do they even have access to taking care of that well i'm going to tell you a story a true story and i'm going to do some statistics okay so during my first orientation my first day at staff we read um, a play that was like this, the quotes from the play were, were real farm worker quotes, like quotes from farm workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a story of a man who got his foot ran over by a John Deere tractor while he was working. And um, the his employer um, just ignored it and he didn't take him to a hospital or get him any type of care. And he was taking like 12 Tylenol or Advil or something a day, um, some kind of aspirin. And like that's that's like how you get like, addicted to drugs and stuff. Not drugs, but, like, prescription drugs. Right. And, like, like you get a dependency. And, like, um, that's, like, one of the stories that stuck out to me is always, I'm always going to remember that story. It's, like, that's basically, like, the, the metaphor, or, like, not the metaphor, but, like, that's the anecdote, I guess, for what healthcare looks like for farm workers. Right. Um, so agriculture is consistently marked the third most dangerous industry um, in the United States. And despite this, farm workers are still not protected from the same by the same safety laws that protect workers in other industries. Forty-five um, percent of agricultural workers are insured. Every day, about one hundred and sixty-seven agricultural workers or farm workers suffer a lost work time injury. In twenty twelve, three hundred and seventy-four farmers and farm workers reportedly died from a work-related injury. Um, on average, one hundred and thirteen youth under the age of twenty die annually from farm-related injuries. Wow. Um, so there's no statistics. They, um, because they're, a lot of them are undocumented, 
they don't have health insurance, they don't have to go to a doctor. I mean, the, the employer doesn't have to take them to a doctor if they get injured right. or ill. And they are at higher risk of injury and illness because of, of the field that they work in. Um, they work with pesticides. So there's a certain amount of time that you can, that you're supposed to wait before you go into the fields after pesticides are spray. But farmers don't follow that law um, because it's not enforced or it's not like checked on. So, and um, is it like time is money for them? Is that what it is? Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. Yeah. And the farm workers also, I mean, they don't want to get sick, but they also need that money too. So they're going to want to go in mm-hmm. and, and work. And then, like I said, they're, um, so they're encouraged to wear long sleeve shirts. Mm-hmm. And right now at my university, there is a group of students. Um, so I go to a predominantly like an engineering school, but I'm not, I'm not an engineer. I'm oh, yeah. a person. Um, and a social work person. Right. <laughs> but um, they're coming up with these t-shirts that are pesticide resistant. So that's like something. Um, that, like, I always, so. sorry, I kind of just laughed because it, it, I, I can understand uh, why that is a good thing, but it's, it kind of just reminds me, like I work in sexual violence and whatever, and it just reminds me of this fact that we're always uh, teaching women to, you know, have a rape uh, whistle on them or, yeah. you know, not go out at night and be careful of strangers, always trust your gut, blah, blah, blah. Um, important things, but at the same time, never addressing the root causes of that or never actually putting the onus on the perpetrators. And here, the perpetrators are the farmers, and it's just what the farm workers can do to better protect themselves from inhumane uh, acts of violence yeah. as opposed to actually what uh, where the onus should be, which is on farmers and what they should be doing to uh, not capitalize on inhumanity and a very slow systemic form of genocide in my eyes. Um, and um, not actually holding them to account. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, what kind of activism is being done on that account or if there is... Um, you know, hope for having more rights and stuff for um, farm workers' health and access to health care or access to sick days and paid leave and um, better wages and stuff. I don't know. Like, is there that activism there or at least that yeah, activism I mean, to put... Is. There is, right? Yeah, and to put that onus yeah. on farmers instead of farm workers. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, we are... We do teach farm workers to, you know, take water breaks, take bathroom mm-hmm. breaks, and put on sunscreen and all of that for their own um, education and empowerment. Right. But at the same time, we do hold farmers accountable. We do hold corporations accountable. Right now we're boycotting Wendy's. Oh. Um, because they, um, yeah, I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but they, the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, they have a fair food program that would give farm workers one more cent per bucket. So a lot of farm workers get paid by the bucket. So they'll get one more cent per bucket and that would make a big difference in their paycheck, even though it's just one cent, mm-hmm. which shouldn't be a lot for the corporation, but it is a lot for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wendy's is one of the one of the restaurants and corporations that hasn't signed on to it. So we're boycotting them. We're also holding Starbucks accountable because they started working with Dairy Gold for... Um, their milk, they started getting it from Jerry Gold, and Jerry Gold exploits its farm workers. So we're, we're holding them accountable. We made a video the other day. What else? Um, so, yeah, you should, one of the biggest activists, um, I know people talk about Cesar Chavez a lot, but mm-hmm. the United Farm Workers um, was started by Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. So you should watch the documentary Dolores. It's really good, and it's like, 
um, an hour long or a little bit more than an hour. And um, it talks about like how the farm worker movement basically not got started, but it got, it gave, she gave it fuel um, and how she boycotted grapes and held farm workers accountable and, or not farm workers, farmers accountable. And she got the farm workers to do the accountability to, to speak on behalf of themselves. And mm-hmm. um, literally they would start picketing and protesting and the, some farm, the farm workers who were already part of the protest, they would call their fellow farm workers and be like, come on, brother, come on. Right. Like, and they would get them to right. join the movement. And um, it's yeah. still active today, the United yeah. Farm Workers. Awesome. Um, I just find yeah. it interesting, I guess, that we as Muslims, um, you know, we I guess there's increased awareness on unethical um, trade practices amongst Western countries and then developing countries, um, especially in terms of coffee exploitation and um, the labor to produce those beans and stuff um or you know trying to participate in boycott divestment and sanctions um but we're not necessarily mindful i think even in um you know zero waste or vegan or ethical kind of consumption accounts and practices and stuff that i follow there's never an importance on farm workers and how we're accessing non-meat products um and even just the basics of fruits and vegetables and stuff but how those are being accessed and what um you know who's being harmed in the production of that access where you know like we should be more cognizant of that if we're actually um trying to eat more ethically or being mindful of who's being exploited and harmed um in order for us to have access to this food um, I just think as Muslims, we need to be a lot more conscious of it. Um, and and the unfortunate reality is, is that it's so systemic and it's so intersectional that it's like, do you just boycott every single little thing? And I don't know, just eat some of the grass that's outside of your thing, right? Like that, it, it can kind of feel overwhelming in that way. Um, do you have any tips for us on how to be more mindful of, you know, where our f- food is coming from and how we can better support farm workers and um, their the fight for their rights? Well, like you said, it is ubiquitous. And mm. I'm not going to say stop eating meat and stop eating dairy. Right. Because farm workers will still be exploited whether or not you do that. Right. And they still, they, they do more than, you know, like every industry affects them, not just meat and dairy. So right. going vegan, going vegetarian is not, I mean, it's good, but it's not the solution. Right. Um, the solution would be, as a consumer, um, well, first of all, boycott Wendy's and look at what other corporations exploit farm workers in New York. So you live in Canada, so I'm sure it's not the same for you, but look up what corporations and businesses exploit farm workers mm-hmm. and go to staff-unite.org and look up and like read about, we have so many resources. So first of all, I would, you know, read and learn about what they go through and what they're doing, not just mm. what they go through, but what, how they are sustaining our economy, how they're, how they're sustaining our agricultural industry, how they're putting food, food on our table mm-hmm. and why we need them, why we need to advocate for them and the whole process. Um, there's a documentary on Netflix called Food Chains. Oh, yeah. That's something else you should watch. Yeah, Food Chains, Dolores, and Harvest of Dignity. Watch all of those documentaries. Okay. Um, and... Um, yeah, just as a consumer, 
um, there's not much you can do in terms of like you like you said like how what should you you can't just starve yourself you know yeah like you have to eat you have to you not every decision you make is going to be ethical right unfortunately right but being informed and using that information to advocate um for rights of farm workers and for all marginalized people um that would be the best thing to mm-hmm. you know change the system right Right. And what are some of those systems that, I don't know. I mean, that's such a broad question, I guess, Um, because you did say you mentioned white supremacy and racism, um, immigration, um, and also just wars of terror on their home communities. Um, What other systems are there um, that are kind of benefiting off of their exploitation? And also, what in what way does that make it difficult for them to speak out for their own rights, or to have, or maybe there's a sense of fear for speaking around and claiming those rights just because of the harm that those systems could do to them, um, just for their basic livelihood and actual lives. Oh, that's such a tough question. It is a tough question. Um, <laughs> Feel free to answer to any or none. <laughs> No, um, I think ICE is a really big system that um, holds up. So right now, our agricultural, like farmers and the agricultural industry is kind of like, in the United States, is kind of suffering. Not suffering, but it's not doing as well as it was before ICE started separating families and children at the border. Right. Um, Because we need those immigrants, whether they're here illegally or illegally, we need them for our workforce. Mm -hmm. And um, like you said, who's going to do those jobs if no one else wants to do them, they're going to do them, right? Mm -hmm. So um, ICE is definitely a big system that, you know, it's a white supremacist system. It's a violent system um, that, and like you said, um, why are they afraid of speaking up and advocating for their own rights is because, first of all, language barriers. Um, So... I was reading the other day, Spanish is actually a European language. Mm. And we don't think of it that way. We think of it as the language of the brown people. Mm-hmm. But it's actually a European language. So, like, when I was in middle school, when I was, like, signing up for a language, I put, I chose French because I didn't, I didn't realize at the time why. But looking back, I realized it was kind of, like, a racist, not racist, but, like, a prejudice thing. Like, oh, like... French is the ling- the fancy language because it's the language of the white people. Right, Spanish right. is the more unsophisticated language because it's the language of the brown people, but really they all came from white people. Right, right. Spanish came from white people too. Right. Um, but now, like, if people speak Spanish in public, they're like, speak English, go back to your country, like, all that stuff. So um, language is a big barrier. Mm-hmm. And how can they advocate for their, how can they even know like how they're being exploited? Well, I guess they know, they know how they're being exploited, but right. how can they like put that into words and like, how can they advocate for their rights if they can't, if they can't speak English, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so language is a big barrier and that's also upholded, upheld, upholded <laughs> by white supremacy. Yeah. Um, because we think that English is the only language that should be taught, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? So, what other systems? So, white supremacy, ICE, um, language barriers. I don't know. Everything comes back to white supremacy. Yeah. And to, yeah. like, the beginning of, of, like, how America was, not just America, but the whole world was colonized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, and it's such an overwhelming (laughs) thing to try and figure out how to dismantle or, um, you know, where to begin. So I guess in, in, in in that interest, what does resiliency look like in farm worker communities and farm worker activism? What does resiliency look like? Mm. I don't know. Like, for me, it's working with people. So you can't do this work alone. Mm-hmm. And we just, like, I told you it was a work thing, but we were, we out, we went out and we got coffee and churros. Nice. So, like, nice. You we, need we that. were there for two, for like two hours and nice. we were just having a nice time. And, like, that's what farm workers have to do too. Like, um, you have to, like, do the work with people. And you have to kind of, like, motivate each other. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Because I guess, like, I, I can't, Yeah. I can't speak from the perspective of a farmer who's actually doing that work right. all day and then coming right. home and then also being an activist. Like, right. I live in a cushy, like, suburban neighborhood. Like, after... I work 10 hours a week at this internship. Like, for me, it's, like, resilience is not something that is a problem because... It's, it's just not like I, I'm not a farm worker. Right. But I think um, having a support system, having a network is what I'm trying to say, a support system mm-hmm. where you motivate each other. And um, that's why staff is so important because we are that support system for a lot of farm workers and for a lot of migrant children. Right. Um, is we are actually right now, um, so last summer we started providing them um, desktop computers and Wi-Fi and hotspots so they can communicate with their families. They can take ESL classes. Um, they can look up, um, like, serp- like they can look up, like, resources and services online for, like, legal and, and health and stuff. Excuse me. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that's something that we're doing to support farm workers. And I think resiliency looks like having a support system and having resources to, mm-hmm. like, empower you through through that activism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I, I guess I ask because um with any you know minority group um a lot of the narratives are pretty one-sided and pretty bleak and and not to say that the situation uh, isn't bleak but I think humans by nature are very resilient creatures um and we 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 are able to, you know, to connect with each other still and to still, um, like you said, have that network and stuff. And so I was, I guess I was in that resiliency. Is there alternative narratives of farm workers that we should be aware of that um, the media doesn't necessarily uh, put a play on because it can't be capitalized on and it would kind of diminish, you know, how they want the farm workers to be seen as? Well, the media doesn't portray farm workers at all. At all, like, okay. We don't know what farm workers are. Yeah. And when you see farms, like, I know there's a commercial for, like, that one juice, like, cranberry juice, and it's like they're standing in a field of cranberries and they're, like, smushing the cranberries. Oh, yeah. Like, they're all, all the pictures on, like, the butter, like, the, you know, um, it's like of a green field with, like, an angel or, like, some white person. Right. And it's like... The farm workers are not invisible. They're non-existent, like I said at the beginning. And so there is no narrative of farm workers. So right. we're the people who are painting that narrative. Farm workers are the people that are painting that narrative for themselves. Okay. And the narrative is is that, yeah, like, we are not disempowered because of 
because of what we're doing. We're disempowered because of the systems that are disempowering us. Right. And the way that we at SAF and at other, the Farm Worker Institute, the National Farm Worker Awareness Week, um, the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, the way that we portray farm workers is we celebrate their work, we celebrate their lives, and we recognize that the work they're doing, that their lives, their lives are unjust, but their lives are also beautiful. Mm -hmm. And if you go to, um, if you follow Student Action with Farm Workers on Instagram and Facebook, and if you follow Farm Worker Awareness on Instagram, and I think Facebook, um, you will see like really beautiful pictures of farm workers and their families and what they're doing and it's not bleak it's not dark it's, right it's just not it's not fair but it's not right depressing. right right exactly yeah. there there there's still that humanity there that um because i guess i'm always interested in how we frame humanity and um for certain people it's being it's being able to prosper and um and and you know success and all that stuff and for others humanity is is actually dehumanized dehumanized or it's seen as very bleak and um one-dimensional and um you know only oppression 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 which the systems there exist but anybody that's actually been oppressed knows you cannot you cannot feed the oppression um and I think that's something where, like, where in resiliency lies, where even just our bodies um, getting up every day, um, being able to continue to live our lives is a form of resiliency. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just, I'm, yeah, I guess I'm just interested in exactly, you know, how, how humanity is humanized and dehumanized and who, who gets to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I, I know we've kind of talked around you know, what we can do to be better allies. I think, you know, we've talked about education um, and you've shared documentaries and certain resources and stuff, but are there, you know, what other ways can we be better allies to farm workers? Um, you know, if, if that's something that we are invited to do or that is necessary for us to be in that space or in different ways and stuff. Um, and also, how can we change... Well, I guess we kind of talked about how we can change our consumption practices, even though it's mm-hmm. it's pretty difficult. But yeah, yeah, it is difficult. Yeah. Well, first of all, recognize your privilege, especially if yeah. you. I mean, I guess if you're white, but everyone has privilege. Right. Um. Not if even if you're black or brown or rich or poor, everyone has some form of privilege. So recognize your privilege and check yourself. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't. I had a conversation with someone recently, and I was like, "Yeah, I took a picture in front of a like Bugatti recently, and I posted it on." On, on Instagram, so I know my privilege, and I was like, "If you know your privilege, why do you feel attacked when I called you out and mm. I told you about it?" Right. So, um, know your privilege and don't t- take it as a strength. Like, right. It's your privilege is your strength for you to, I guess you don't like the word empower, but like not empower, but for you to enact change in the world. Right. Um, in the spaces that you occupy. Yeah. So first of all. Recognize your privilege. Make sure that your activism is not upholding white supremacy, mm-hmm. um, because sometimes it can like it can do that. Mm-hmm. Make sure that your feminism, your whatever ism, is intersectional, mm-hmm. um, and advocate for um, undocumented immigrants. Advocate for um, DACA students and Dreamers and um, 
be allies of the Latinx community because that's where most of farm workers come from. Mm-hmm. Um, be ad- be allies for indigenous peoples because a lot of farm workers are indigenous people. Um, yeah, and just constantly be educating yourself. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think because mm-hmm. that's where it comes from. And then, um, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, no, and then no. if you can get involved with an organization that, um, not just not just for farm workers, but as doing any kind of activist work, um, then I think, you know, you should do that. Mm -hmm. Like you should, whether it's an internship or whatever, a volunteer opportunity. I mean, I know people have different interests and a lot of people want to do like computer programming or like, what else? Medicine. Right. The standards. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I think you should get involved with any kind of activist nonprofit group, um, especially for farm workers because they are an invisible minority. Um, so just like volunteer or, you know, repost some of their posts or something like that. Right. How can um, you volunteer or be a part of it without tokenizing the work or without further harming um, farm workers and stuff? Because I think, you know, I think sometimes volunteerism and volunteerism can be a very feel good practice. Um, and so like yourself, you are very like you're very passionate about and invested and you want to do this work sustainably. So how can we do that? Or what do we need to be mindful of um, before entering those spaces where we kind of do it for two weeks or something, or it's a feel good thing. um, Or, you know, we, we end up doing more harm because we have certain assumptions and um, ways of understanding best practices and stuff. Right. So, I have a lot of advice for that. Okay, so good. Go in with the right intentions. Don't right. make it about you. Um, I think, especially when you're young, you have a tendency to make it about ourselves and to like do it for the gram. Right. Um, but try not to take selfies. I mean, don't take selfies. Don't do that kind of stuff. Right. You know? right. Like, don't make it about you. It's okay to take pictures sometimes. Right. right. Do it in the sense of like, oh, I'm going to be advocating for people. I'm going to be educating people about this. Oh, like, I want to be encouraging people to come to this as well. Um, so don't make it about you. Mm-hmm. Second piece of advice would be, um, it's good to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really good to advocate for all kinds of people. But mm-hmm. it's, I think it's more effective, and I may be wrong, but to stick with one or two organizations and do something that's consistent. So... I'm going to talk about this late, more later because I know you're going to ask me mm-hmm. a question. But um, Razan Abu Salha, mm-hmm. she's one of the martyrs of um, a shooting that that happened in North Carolina um, by a white supremacist. Um, right. And she started something called Project Downtown with UMR, um, United Muslims Relief. And every um, every month, they would go downtown and feed homeless people. And that's something that's continued, that she did consistently, and it's something that's continued on even after she passed. And it's something that is now nationwide. It's not just in North Carolina, it's nationwide. Um, my cousin was actually, she advertised it, and we always joke, like, she lives in New Jersey, and I live here, so we always joke, like, I'm going to come to your event, I'll be, like, hiding in the ceiling tiles. Okay, that's really random tangent. But, like, I was like, oh, I'm going to be there, and then I told her about, like, you know, this was started by Razan. Right. Um, but be, be consistent. Um... And then, um, I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, be consistent. Don't make it about yourself. Um, oh, yeah. 
And you don't have to necessarily be at the front lines of everything in order to be having an impact. You can just be at your home. Like if you're a Muslim, you can be at home waking up for Fajr or Tahajr or Piyamalayl and making dua for all these people. Because we know, like, I know not everyone believes in God or religion, but we know that that's something that is going to have an impact as well. And I also think that um, it's not real. The work that you're doing isn't about you. Mm. It's like, because we're always like, I'm going to change the world. But why does it have to be that way? Like, why does it have to be I am going to change the world? You're not right. going to change the world. No one, no one person is going to change the world. So right. don't go in with that mindset. Go right. in with the mindset that I have to be doing something right. because no matter what I do, it's going to have an impact. And I want to do something that has a positive impact. So just like, don't go in with the mindset that I am going to change the world. Go in with the mindset that I am going to have some kind of impact. Even if, even if it doesn't change the world or change something, even if it, if this, policy doesn't get passed or does get passed just your actions are still important whether or not they have the effect that you wanted Mm -hmm. to have Mm -hmm. i think like one of the quotes i read last year that kind of changed my mindset is one by rumi well it says Mm -hmm. it's by rumi i know some of the things get hijacked in that in for him but um it said yeah. yesterday I was clever, smart, or clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I'm wise, so I want to change myself. And I think for mm-hmm. me, increasingly, activism begin- begins with internal change, and actually really reflecting on the our practices and trying to work towards more ethical consumerist habits, um, and being mindful and reflective of exactly what influence we have in this world and how we can affect change just by working on ourselves and our own <laughs> habits and having best practices. Cause of course everything is systemic. I completely agree with that. And, um, there are certain things that are out of our control or are harder to access and stuff, but there are still things that we can do, um, locally or internally, um, that can have influence and impact change in ways that we... Yeah, I definitely agree yeah. with that. And I yeah. think that... I think there's a hadith or something. Um, I don't know if it's a hadith, but I know it's something that, like, you. what's most important to you is the people... The, whatever is closest to you. So if something is mm. happening overseas, but there's a crisis in your home, right. then your priority should be the crisis in your home. And I think right. a lot of times, a lot of activists, and myself included we like do all this work and then we're so burned out that we don't have time for our family. Right. And like, I'm guilty of this. And when I was in high school, like, I mean, I learned it like the hard way, mm-hmm. but you need to fo- focus on your family. You need to focus on yourself and your, and your relationship with God. Um, and you can do both. Right. Like, you, you, you figure out how to balance that. Right. But if you're not, if you're doing all this work and you're not, not, you are a bad person, like your character is bad, you're arrogant and you don't treat your family well, then what's the point, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, 100%. It's, it's better to be a good person of good character and to treat your family well and to, like, not be as much, not to do as much work outside. It's mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. to do that because then you are sowing the seeds for change in your family and locally in your community and people yeah. can take you as an example and mm-hmm. they can be, you know, yeah. they can learn from you, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And the first like point of charity or point of, um, you know, helping 
something or somebody starts at home and in the family and then it branches out so like you said if you're not working on yourself you're not making sure that you or your family have um good akhlaq and good you know ways of looking at humanity and um seeing that humanity in everyone then you're not going to be able to actually relate to the world in those ways and again it's kind of like that domino effect that you're not going to actually influence any any actual ethical way of relating to this world and navigating it um what kind of moving a little bit away from that but what is this government how is this government impacting the lives of farm workers right now so i know you mentioned ice but is there any other ways or any you know certain um are are farmer lobbyists you know kind of impact using um their access to the government right now to further harm farm workers or otherwise. Um, so North Carolina just passed HB 370 through to the House, I think, and now the Senate's going to vote on it. Don't quote me on that, but it's it's in a process of being passed, basically, HB 370. Okay. So sheriffs, the, um, they would have to report people to ICE. Sheriffs would have to report people to ICE if they found out that they were undocumented or suspected them of being undocumented. Right. Um, so that's not directly, like, related. I mean, it is related to farm workers because a lot of farm workers are undocumented. Right. It's not like a farm worker. Oh, like this specifically. Right. This bill specifically talks about farm workers. Right. Um, but I think we're focused more on holding farmers accountable. Yeah. Holding the employers accountable, the growers. Right. right. And the crew leaders accountable because um, they they have the biggest impact rather right. than the government. Because there are labor laws in place. They just need to be um, enforced, right. I guess. So and how are you doing that? How can we hold farmers accountable? So um, make sure that they're following up with housing codes and, like, make sure that the camps themselves are have, like, adequate sanitation and, like, indoor plumbing and a place where they can wash their clothes, um, beds, you know. If a farm worker gets injured on the job, hold them accountable for taking – for the health care of that farm worker. Mm-hmm. Give us an overwhelming amount. So I think that's, um, you know, we can we can start looking locally how like what rights those farm workers have in our own areas and like what the farmers have the responsibility to do. And then exactly like if it's if that's actually mm. being meted out. Or- okay. uh, that, that's what we're doing on a, corp- no, not a corporation, on an organizational level. Right. That's where we hold farmers accountable. But not everyone can go to to um, a farmer and be like. Are you doing this? You right. Know? As an individual, boycott boycott corporations that are exploiting farm workers, basically, right. and not supporting farm workers. And you guys have a list, right? You said on your website? Um. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Right now, it's, I think it's just Wendy's. Oh, okay. We're just focusing on Wendy's. Okay, and Starbucks? Um, we're not boycotting Starbucks, so oh, okay. we are holding them accountable. Oh, okay, cool. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. What does that accountability look like, then? Like, what is... I guess you're holding them accountable by kind of taking um, income away from them or taking your, taking your, uh, I can't even talk. Well, any, any organization really, but I guess like by, by not buying their products and stuff or whatever their service, you're kind of taking away some of that demand. But how, what does that accountability look like? And if this is like too intense of a question right now, don't worry about it. Um, 
I think just like accountability looks like telling other people that they're doing this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like educating the public that this corporation, this company is, this business is doing this. And then also letting them know how you feel and like making videos, emailing them, Mm -hmm. mailing them, Mm -hmm. tweeting at them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's what accountability looks like. Yeah. hundred percent. I would agree. I think that's probably the greatest generator of change is the educational piece and the awareness piece. Um, I mean, I don't have Twitter right now, but (laughs) I think Sean King in his podcast, he said tweet, um, for Eric Garner, he, he, um, the officer who murdered Eric Garner didn't, um, he let, was let go basically. Mm -hmm. And so he said to tweet at the mayor to, um, hold that to account. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. I think it's a, it's a, I think we've even seen, you know, okay, that's a different conversation, but, you know, yeah. just in different communities, definitely I having mean, that public form of accountability yeah. uh, can is very necessary at times and can be conducive to, you know, getting what yeah. you need. I mean, social media can be used as a really powerful weapon. Yeah, too. yeah, 100%. Yeah. I agree. That's like how you're using it. And you. <laughs> and that's how we connected. Yeah. I know. Right? It's so cool. Yeah. Um... Uh, I think we only have a few more questions. Um, but are there, uh, companies and businesses that do have those fair and ethical labor practices that we can support? Or is it like, is it a pretty big cultural practices practice among farm workers to be unethical and abusive? You should support, you should buy union made products. You should support Mm. local businesses and farmers markets. Okay. Um, other than that, I can't think of any specific yeah. businesses or corporations that you should support, but I mean, Google. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. It's pretty big, pretty big resource. Yeah. Um, and then, um, why is the justice of farm workers the justice for many? Because um, all oppression is connected and mm-hmm. injustice anywhere is just threat to justice everywhere. Right. And nice line. <laughs> Sorry, I was Shout out to Malcolm X. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, no, that's Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, what? Oh. Yeah. I'm thinking of... Oh, uh, I, I know which one I'm thinking of. I just can't word it. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. like, all oppression is connected. Um, and this is especially important to us because we eat the food that they put on our tables. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, yeah. we should feel some level of, like, responsibility you know right yeah not guilt not guilt i wouldn't say but responsibility yeah because um, guilt can be pretty passive and can just kind of stifle actual mm-hmm. like change sometimes sometimes yeah. sometimes it can be a catalyst for change but sometimes it can stifle it or be and i think passive. we tend to like work with groups that we identify with and that mm-hmm. we whose oppressions we are connected with mm-hmm. but we are all connected to the oppressions of farm workers and to their lives mm-hmm. because their livelihood impacts us mm-hmm. and because we should just care about everyone i know, you know? right it's pretty simple <laughs> all things yeah. considered but apparently not um any more resources or books that you can share with us i know you shared with us three documentaries but anything else yeah i don't want to overwhelm anybody and like books no one reads books I mean I read books but not really um 
I can't think of books, but That's documentaries fine. are really good. The ones that I mentioned, and you can put them in the in the little description of the podcast. Yeah, I think I'm going to make an um, Instagram post for it. So you said Food okay. Chains, Dolores, and Harvest Grains? Harvest of Dignity. Uh, Harvest and of that, Dignity. Harvest yeah. of Dignity is um, on Vimeo. It's a free, like, 30-minute documentary. Oh, cool. Um, it's about the history of farm work in North Carolina. Uh-huh. Actually, our executive director is Melinda Wiggins. She's in it. Oh, um, cool. At SAF. Okay. Cool. And then go to saf-unite.org, and we have tons of fact sheets, um, documentaries that our interns have made, um, theater work, um, curriculum, and syllabi that you can use. To oh, nice. Hold classes. It's really, we have an awesome um, communications director. So, yeah, nice. Um, yeah. Awesome. That's, I, feel like that's yeah no that's a good place to start (laughs) yeah yeah 100 um and then finally in terms of the farm worker questions who are some farm worker activists that we can follow on social media yeah so um you should follow farm worker awareness Mm -hmm. student action with farm workers and um i don't know of like large-scale farm worker activists but i have friends who are um activists themselves and who've ha- who've interned at student action with farm workers um so i can give you a list later yeah but jose Ibarra, um daisy almonte uh-huh. and then all the interns that i'm working with right now so maggie holmes allison diaz um elizabeth Ciesa, myself yeah i mean they're not always posting about farm workers and that stuff but like right. They're involved with farm workers, farm workers, and activism and all that stuff. So right. you can like, I don't know, follow them and like message them. Yeah, I don't I know. Do. Yeah, I'll stop yeah. them. Um, yeah. Okay, so that's it for the questions for farm workers. Now I ask at the end of the podcast, I ask um, some questions to everyone. So um, right. right, and so so the first one is, what's your favorite thing about Islam? Um, I think. The, well, I mean, I can't say that I dislike any part of it, you know. Fair enough. But my favorite thing um, is that, like, even if your sins were to reach up to a mountain, Allah would wipe them away and forgive you if you just repented. And I think that's really beautiful that, like, we always have a second chance. And I think people often don't give you a second chance or, like, forgive you or give you the benefit of the doubt. But... Mm -hmm. I think it's awesome, and I, that's my favorite part, is that no matter how fall, how far back I fall or how many sins I commit or, like, how many prayers I miss, I'm, I still have the chance to get back on my feet. And yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty beautiful, too. Um, uh, what was my next question? Um, if you could give your younger Muslim self uh, one piece of advice, what would you, what would it be? Well, a lot of things, <laughs> but I'm always doing that. I'm always thinking about how I can, well, I always look back on my past self, especially mm-hmm. this past year mm-hmm. and try to treat myself with that younger self with like kindness and compassion as like, I wish you were my younger daughter or something. Right. And try to like, I don't know, encourage my own growth and, um, <laughs> sorry, but no, I mean, that makes sense though. 
Um, I just made a face to post you guys about apologizing too much, and I'm still uh, doing yeah, it. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> but um, I think literally this week, I that's the thing that I would give myself advice about is is being like more unapologetic. Okay, and I yeah. Can read, I can. Um, so there's a quote by Leslie Nope, who's, you know, Parks and Rec. No, but I've heard I should watch it. Yes, you should. Okay. Oh, um, okay, so if I were to give myself, my younger self, a piece of advice is to, when I'm interacting with someone who, whose views are different than mine and who, not just different, but who's clearly, whose views um uphold oppression and white supremacy and whose views are offensive and, um, you know, offend others in, in a, in a, in a really not violent, but in a very like, I don't know. Like, it, it, yeah, it relies on the oppression of others to uplift themselves or to, it relies on the in a way system. That, like, dismant- like dehumanizes them. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Makes yeah. Sense. So yeah. when I interact with, with those kind of people to, Sometimes I can be disrespectful, which, okay, which isn't, like, disrespectful, disrespectful, but, like, I told this guy to shut up um, recently, and then I, then I apologized to him for telling him to shut up. So that's, that's the thing, like, I'm either, I, I need to, like, be not disrespectful, but I need to be, like, respectful, but also hold my ground and be unapologetic, and when I come off as offensive to them, or if I come off as hurting their feelings, then I shouldn't apologize for that either. But mm-hmm. I also shouldn't tell people to shut up because that's, that's like taking away my, like, a you clock. know, or, yeah. Yeah. But I, I have done that. Like, I've been getting good at that. It's just that there are times that I wish I could, you know, go back and redo that conversation. But right. there are also times where I've been, I've done that beautifully. So not to like brag, but like. No, but it's you, you gotta yeah. You gotta recognize where it works and what what works and what doesn't work. So that's actually, part of it. It's just not it's not um, just recognizing the bad. Yeah, actually, going back to farm workers, I was tabling at this event by myself, mm-hmm. which was um, celebrating the heritage of agriculture in North Carolina, and it was clearly very um, centered on like farmers and about like the white part of agriculture and not the farm worker part. Right. So I was there representing farm workers sorry excuse me representing farm workers and there was this guy with a confederate flag on his cap and he was clearly um a bit bigoted but I dealt with him I stuck to my message and I dealt with him in a a respectful way a polite way but I held my ground and he walked away pissed off but it wasn't because I pissed him off it was because I was honest and um I think that's how that's like my example for what I wanted to be like but it's difficult sometimes especially over message when people message me and I'm like yeah just can you just not can you just not like I don't want to talk to you and that's the thing I can be like I don't want to talk to you but I don't do that I like you know yeah <laughs> I talk to them and then, right and then, right yeah yeah and it's just like sometimes it's hard because I think when you're in the center of it 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 I don't know. I found with my activism and stuff, it's like when I'm in the center, I'm like, how do you not get it? Like, what is so difficult about this to understand? Like, how do you like once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so when people message you the same thing over and over again or kind of really attack something that you fundamentally believe, it can be really difficult to actually 
um, to address it with a compassion that you would want to be addressed with you, right? Um, yeah. Or or that would maybe be the most make the most strategic sense or whatever in kind of getting your message across. But I, it can be super tiring and overwhelming when you're kind of repeating the same thing than when you're when you know that you know activists and you know different different activism has been going on for so long that it's like come on like seriously these same conversations still um so i i can get that i can get why it could be super frustrating and like yeah yeah i i've learned recently it's like really just listen to exactly what they're trying to say and only respond to that point and i try not to let any of my um emotions get in the way so I take a step back and then I'm like I'm just addressing the content not anything not any personal attack that you've given me because mm-hmm. that's just feeding kind of what they want yeah I definitely don't think I write about everything or that my perspective is the only perspective I just mm-hmm. think that some people are just wrong and <laughs> come from a place of like really high privilege and yeah they don't see that and yeah I mean I mean, I used to be focused on, like, changing people's views and everything, but that's something no. else that I also taught my younger self is, like, you shouldn't be focused on changing people. You should just stick to your message. Yeah, yeah. Work on changing yourself, yourself and others should yeah. just work on changing themselves exactly. and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it, at the end, I invite people to pray for, um, like, put our heads, heart, and our hands in prayer for any people, causes, um etc so any anyone or anything we should you want us to pray for right this is gonna be a, a long well all of my answers have been long, cool. but this is gonna be long and slightly emotional because yeah. well there's a lot of stuff happening in the world to muslims and to every group of people so we should pray for all of them um but i live in north carolina and north carolina is the home of um a really big high profile um murder of three um, beautiful people, um, three beautiful Muslim people. Um, so four years ago um, in February, there they were, um, Thea Barakat, Rez- Rezan Abu Salha, and Yusuf Abu Salha were murdered by a white supremacist, bigot, terrorist. Um, and there, it's been four years and justice has still not been enacted. In fact, um, the DA ruled that um, the, the man who, I'm not gonna say his name, but the man who murdered them, he shouldn't, he's not gonna get the death penalty just because they wanna move that case along faster, which I guess there's a side to that, which makes sense, but. Um, so it's been four years and that, I mean, for, their, for our whole community, it's been traumatic and we still grieve for them every day um, everything that we do, every act, act of service, every prayer, every act of activism, it's for them and it's because of them, because they were really a light in our community. And um, it's worse for their families, it's harder for their families, for Faris, Barakat, and for um, Dr. Abu Salha, and for um, Suzanne Barakat, all of them, it's, it's really hard for them, but our whole community is grieving alongside of them and fighting with them as well. Um, there's a house, so Dia Barakat, his house was turned into a center for the youth by his brother Faris. It's called the Lighthouse Project. So please um, follow the Lighthouse Project on Instagram and Facebook and donate to them because they are a really big um, incubator for the youth and their projects, which was the dream of, of Dia was to 
help the youth with their projects. So, um, yeah, so we are grieving, but at the same time, we're doing all this work in their honor. And I just want to close on this note that Dr. Abu Salha, the father of the daughters, um, Razan and Yusser, they, he went to the House Judiciary Committee on Hate Crimes and the Rise of White Supremacy. And he was asked, did you teach your children to, did you teach your children violence? Do you teach them hate? He was asked that, um, where he was, where he was talking about the murder of his children. He was asked if they were taught to hate violence because of Islam. And they, someone um, made a statement, Klein, I don't remember his first name, but he was, he said, Islam teaches to hate Jews. There's no distinction between anti-Semitic rhetoric in response to Israeli oppression. Don't call Israeli prime minister racist. He built the least amount of illegal settlements. Calling him racist is hateful. Um, and that just goes to show how like the oppression of all oppression is, is linked, especially the oppression of Muslims. It's, um, it's linked that, you know, an incident in North Carolina is linked to, to Israel and Palestine. Um, but yeah, it's been four years and justice has still not been served. Um, so we have a long ways to go. I would say, please pray for them. Dia Barakat, Yusser, Abu Salha, and Razan Abu Salha. Um, Yusser and Dia had just gotten married and they were all shot together and um, execution style in their own apartment. They, um, Dia died um, as Shahid. He died holding um, his finger up finger in the, in the position of the Shahada. And he died as Shaheed. And he witnessed his um, sister, his sister-in-law and wife being killed. So um, pray for all of them, say their names in your prayers and donate to the Lighthouse Project, donate to our three winners. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for reminding us of that our grief cannot be forgotten and that we the only way to make sure that it's not silenced is if we ourselves are not silent about it and and that we have to enact change with our head, our heart, and our hands and, and make dua and also, like you said, donate and um, speak out against bigotry and racism and supremacy and um, the ways in which they can have really violent reactions um, on our communities. So thank you. Yeah, yeah no, of thank course. you. Yeah. Um, and how can we support you? Um, I guess pray for me as well. And I don't know, like, I don't want to say like, I don't know, just pray for me. Yeah. Um, that's it. Like, I guess you can follow the work that I'm doing on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, also, also like if I'm doing, if I'm fundraising for a cause, especially for student action with farm workers. Yeah. Um, last year or last in September, I fundraised for suicide prevention. Mm. Um, so just get behind that. I know you donated to my fundraiser, mm-hmm. so um, donate to that. But um, yeah, just keep me in your prayers. Pray for my family. Pray for my spiritual success. And um, pray that all of my work, um, I get re- reward for it and not just like I'm doing it the right way, you know? Right, so. right. Yeah, no, I think we should also all be praying for that for our own selves. But yeah, yeah, we will, inshallah, keep you in our duas. And thank you so much. Like, I learned so much and just about the systems and like, um, you know, I guess I guess I have the Canadian understanding of it. And that was from like a while ago. So it was really nice to get an American perspective and also um, 
interesting to see how they do relate in many ways, but also how there are those unique points um, and those unique catalysts within American society. But thank you for educating us. And I I know it's kind of getting late and stuff, but uh, thank yeah. you for taking the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to end by saying, um, please do donate to the Lighthouse Project and um, follow the work that they're doing and donate to Student Action with Farm Workers and follow the work that they're doing. Okay, yeah. Um, and that, I mean, you asked so many questions about how, how we can support. And I think um, following people, they're what they're doing and if you can donate that is one of the you know it's a really big way that you can yeah put our money where our mouth is yeah 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 no i will and i'll link those Okay, so that is the end of the episode with Salma. I hope you enjoyed it and learned a lot. Uh, I definitely did. And I really appreciated that she gave very practical tips on kind of using the agency that we do have to um, really inform the uh, demand and the supply that um, we are, what we're demanding and in turn how that supply is met basically um but yeah everything every all the links that she mentioned will be linked in the show notes um so you can definitely check those out and some of the documentaries and everything um and if you have any questions you can um email her again in the show notes or you can dm her on instagram and if you want to support the rogue muslim on social media you can do so by following at the rogue muslim on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can email at the rogue. Uh, you can email the rogue muslim at gmail for any comments, questions, concerns, uh, podcast ideas. If you want to pitch a podcast um, segment, uh, you know anything, uh, you can feel free to message that on any of either social media apps or uh, via email. Uh, until then, I hope you're having a great, uh, well, this is coming out tonight, so I hope you have a great, this Sunday night, I hope you have a great week ahead, um, and hey, if you fancy it, why not leave a rating, uh, or review of the podcast on any of the podcasting apps that you are listening to this from, and for any of the podcasts that you do listen to, it genuinely does help, um, attract just more listenership to the podcast, um, and that would kind of be ideal because I just would really like to share the stories and the insights that the guests have had to offer on the podcast. So I would really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, until then, I do hope you have a great rest of the week. And um, inshallah, you are all in my duas. So take care. Kadavis. <laughs>